Morning, Digital Cathedral family. Have your seatbelt fastened? Are you ready to blast off? Are you open to some new truth this morning? Because I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to tell you right up front this morning, I'm going to stretch you. And we may delve into some things that you've heard, you've read in, in the Bible, but haven't really seriously considered that I think we are at the point in our development as manifesting sons and daughters that we need to begin to take very seriously. So I'm going to stretch you this morning, and I hope as manifesting sons and daughters that you're ready to hear. Now, if you're not ready to, to blast off into some territory that um, may be new for most of you, and you're not in that mood to be challenged, you may just want to click off and go watch a football game or something because we're going to dive this morning and we're going to dive deep. Let me say, first of all, just to warm you up, just to get you thinking right, let me say this. Our Father knows the end from the beginning. That's the way He planned it. He goes to the end and determines how it is to end up, how things are to be at the end of the day when death settled, smoke clears. This is how it is. Then he backtracks that and sets the beginning so that the beginning, regardless of the detours, uh, the, the trips around the mountain that people make, it's, it's going to end up exactly as he declared from the very beginning. So the Father's process is in motion. It's continually in motion. And I, I tell you, he knows how to unwind everything absolutely perfectly. Nothing catches him by surprise. Nothing throws him off base. He knows the end from the beginning. The Father has prepared and he has set in eternal order everything. The Father has prepared it. He set it up. He's made it exactly the way it is to be. And he has set it in order. In other words, it is, it's all finished. It's a done deal. Now it's a matter of, of it being played out through the generations. And man has a lot to do with how it plays out in, in the process. See, what we're doing right now, we're learning to go through the process that he has prepared. And the, 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 the process is taking us to a place now where we're, where we're understanding, we're beginning to see, I think we're getting a glimpse that the whole reason we're on this planet is to bring heaven to earth. And see, even by my motion, heaven to earth, it's like it's out there, but it's not. The whole purpose of this, this creation that God started from the beginning, and he set the end in order, and we're going to get into some of that, it's to merge the two dimensions, heaven and earth together. The heaven that is within you and the earth that you walk in. We're seeing that those two are beginning to come into a place of one, oneness. Now, Jesus said this, Heaven within, the earth that you walk in. Now it comes down to how you see you, and we're going to talk a little bit about identity in just a minute. Jesus said this in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, Jesus says this. He makes a statement about himself, and then he pulls us into it as well. In John chapter 17 and verse 16. I'm sorry, John 17, verse 16. Not that I, I think I might said verse 6. Verse 16. He's, Jesus says this, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So he's, he's praying this, this famous prayer in John chapter 17. He comes one point into prayer and he says, those that I'm praying for, they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Now, what, what does he mean by that? He means we are not of the world order. We were not set here to be part of the world order or to be part of the world affairs. 
Now that's a verse that speaks to your identity. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. They're not of the world affairs. They're not of the world order. And we're learning to identify with that new level of consciousness. Our level of consciousness has been identity with the world. And I mean the, the, the cosmos, the, the system that we live in, we relate to that. We've been programmed to it ever since we were born. But we're learning to identify with this new level of consciousness like Jesus did when he said he's not of the world. And then he says in verse 18, Father, even as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them. That could be a six-part series right there. We could, we could start unwinding all of, the, all of the ways that the Father equipped Jesus to send him into the world. He didn't send him in short of finances, power, strength, vision, uh, endurance. He sent Jesus into the world fully equipped to accomplish the mission that he was sent here to do, which was to reconcile the world back to the Father. And he has given us everything that we need to fulfill the task that we've been given. And I'm going to lay this task out for you in just a minute. So just hold on. Hold on. We're going to, we're going to get into some things that are going to move you a little bit. But I'm just laying this down. I want you to know the Father knows what he's doing. And Jesus said, don't you guys worry, because even as the Father sent me into the world, I'm sending you into the world. He didn't shortchange us. He didn't send us into the world ill-equipped. So those, those two verses in John chapter 17 speak to me a lot about identity. You're in the world, not of the world. We're sent into the world fully equipped. We need to see ourselves that way. We've talked a lot about identity. And if I could define identity in just three words, I would say that it's this. Identity is, ready, three words. It's a sense of self. It's how you see you. As manifesting sons and daughters of God, the way we see us properly with the right identity is to see us as the Father sees us. We don't see us as the school teacher told us. We don't see us as maybe our, friend, our friends or our family have told us we are. We see us as the Father sees us. And he told us, for example, that we are in his image and in his likeness. He's told us that we are a partaker of the divine nature. He's told us that our identity, our authentic identity was divinity. And if you, you come back to uh, the Old Testament in, in Genesis chapter 2, this is one of those verses that all of a sudden one day clicked on for me and I saw myself completely different. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, And the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. God breathed into the nostrils of man and man became a living soul. So what, what did God do in verse 7? This, this fits identity. This is how you see yourself. You see yourself as one that the Father himself blew the very essence of life into, his life. The totality of who he is, what he is, everything he possesses. Uh, he blew it into, into you. Um, it's the same word that's used in the New Testament for spirit. He took of, of his spirit and placed it within you. And he quickened your mortal body. That's what it says in, in that seventh verse. And the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, the New Testament has kind of a companion verse with this after the resurrection now we're talking about identity still. I want you to begin to see yourself as the Father sees you. 
That's, that's the sense of self that you are to carry. In, in uh, Romans chapter 8, in verse 11, this is, this is a little bit like, an awful lot like uh, Genesis 2-7. When I saw that Genesis 2-7 and I sat back and I said, man, <clears throat> what the writer of Genesis is saying is that I have the very life of God within me. Everything that God was, he blew into me. When, when God, God took his breath, that represents the totality of everything that he is. And he placed it within me. And then we come over to Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. And it says, if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. What he's telling us in that 11th verse is the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, which is the very spirit of God, is going to quicken. That word quicken is an old English word. It means to, it means to give life to. It will quicken. It will bring life into your mortal body so that your mortal body does no longer carry mortal life. It carries immortality. There is no ceasing. There's no end to the life of God. And, and the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, which is eternal, is imparted into us and it gives life to our mortal body. What did Paul told us? That if we through the spirit will will um, put, to de put to death the deeds of the flesh, that we will live. And that word live there means that we're going to enjoy that kind of life that he actually blew into us. So I'm just talking to you about identity. I want you to see yourself, partaker of divine nature, authentic identity as divinity. Uh, you contain the full essence of God. You, re you have received the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. This is self-perception. This is not, I'm a poor old dirty old sinner, sinner saved by grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me, you were never a wretch. You were always one that contained the essence of the Father from the very beginning. Now, if you understand that, here's, here we go. You ready? You buckled in? If you understand that, then it's time to take this whole thing down another level or up another level, depending on how you, on how you want to look at it. To understand our identity in Christ, we have to realize that we have been given a mandate on this planet. We are under a mandate, a, 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 a God-designed mandate that he issued at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Now, you've, you've heard this a lot. You've heard this a lot. But today, I want you to hear it again for the first time. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, verse 27 says, in his image, in, his, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish, over the live, every living thing, that moves upon the earth. Now, let me, let me give you a companion verse way back at the last book in Revelation uh, chapter 5 and verse 10. Here's your destiny. He, he, he set that in the beginning because he looked over at Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10, and, and, and the writer of Revelation said this, And he has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Sense of how you see yourself. He is the king of what? Kings. And he is the Lord of what? Lords. 
And it says in that 10th verse that he has set us into the earth as kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 7, and 8, image and likeness of God. Let him have dominion. Let him subdue it. Well, that was a mandate from God at the very beginning. And I have searched my Bible. God never rescinded that mandate. God never changed it. He never, he never put a little uh, asterisk and down at the bottom said, maybe I was thinking too much. Maybe I was thinking too big. Maybe man's not capable of this. Now that established truth of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 7, and 8, and then seeing the finality of it in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 20, that established truth is critical to us. Absolutely critical as we learn kingdom and we learn to position ourselves to rule and to reign from the resurrection power that has been placed within us. Or as Genesis said, the very life of God, the very essence of God. It's important that we understand this mandate, how it started, how it will end. We're in the process, God's prepared everything, but we are in the process of being prepared to step into that place that God has prepared for us. I honestly believe, based, based upon what I see, what I read, what I feel within me, I honestly believe that things will not fall into place in this great awakening that we're going through right now. This awakening of grace and love and fatherhood of God and you know identity and mercy that endures forever. All these things that God has brought to us, finished work of the cross, and we're still deep diving finished work of the cross. I don't think we've scratched the surface on grace and, and everything that was accomplished when Jesus said it is finished, but we're getting there. We're getting it little by little. I don't think things will fall into place until we see ourselves until the identity that we carry is one that we see as co-creating and co-reigning from the Christ that is within us. Everything I teach at the Digital Cathedral is based on us being in Christ. I know when I talk about being a co-creator, it makes some people nervous. There seems like some people have fallen into the ditch thinking that we, we are the creator, you're not the first cause. I'm going to tell you that right now. You, you're not going to spin a planet off into the galaxy. You're not going to create a tree, but you are a co-creator. And what I mean by that is this. When I talk about man being a co-creator, I'm talking about bringing into visible manifestation that which has already been created, but is invisible. When God created, he created everything that man would ever need. Peter said that we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. Do I see it all? No. Can I touch it all? No. I can't in the physical realm, but it is in the invisible, the non-physical realm. The Father and I working together can bring that then from the invisible to the visible. I spent about six weeks talking about you're a creator and the creative process. And I got a lot of pushback. I'm going to tell you, there were people that questioned and thought that this is not right. But the process is this, look, the Father's already put everything that is, that is needed in, into an invisible realm, into his, his sense of consciousness. Now, he works with us and he starts when we have a, a, a thought from the mind of Christ, a thought from the mind of Christ. 
And that mind, that thought that comes from the mind of Christ then is, is developed in our imagination. We begin to put the picture together. God, you know, you have the, 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 the thought from the mind of Christ. You need, it's time that you buy a bigger house. Your family's growing. You need a bigger house. So that thought comes. So you begin to imagine what that house looks like. I've done this. I've done this numerable times and I've shared some of it with you. You, you paint the entire picture in your imagination. Your, your heart then picks up on it. The, the, the imagination is handed to the heart. And I'm not going to take time to give scripture and all of that. You can go and watch the videos, watch the teaching. It's in your heart that this thing matures. The seed from the imagination drops into the earth, into the heart, and it begins to mature, begins to grow. And when it reaches maturity, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you speak a creative word. You are a co-creator with God. I'm not saying I, I, I create this camera that I'm looking at, but this camera was in the Father's invisible realm before it ever came into the visible dimension. There was a day that I said, I need that camera. I need, I need to be able to record exactly what it is I want to teach. Well, Father, what you've given to me to lay out for the nations, I need to teach it. I need some equipment. And you know what? He, we created this, this whole scenario. The Father and I created the, the, the position we talk and live from has an effect on all creation. How we co-create has an effect on all creation. We've been co-creating. Much of what we've co-created has been from the negative. Creation has been wired to respond to man. Can you see that from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 7, and 8, when he says, let man have dominion over the fish, over the fowl, over all the things that creep on the earth. Let him have dominion. Let him sub subdue it. Creation responds because they're, God wired creation, animals, plants, everything to respond. It's our, we are in the lead on this. We are the highest form of creation. There's no other form of creation that can save their image and likeness of God or that has a divine nature. Your dog Spot, as much as you love Spot, he does not have a divine nature. He's not in the image and likeness of God. So when we look at, at this earth that we live on, when, when peace and love reign or anger and hate reign, it has a, a, an effect on the world around us. Now hold on, we're gonna we're we're going somewhere with all of this. If when when love and peace, when Jesus was was announced to the shepherds, good tidings of peace which shall be to all men, he is the prince of peace. When men begin to live out of peace and love rather than anger and hate, it has an effect on the planet. Now I think on many levels we've we've taken this identity, and maybe the, a lot of the things that we teach at the digital cathedral. I'm trying to move them into your spirit and from your mind, but I think many of these things we have an intellectual perception of, we have a, an intellectual grasping of, we get our head around it, and maybe we even see it from scripture or whatever, but I'm not sure that it's really, we're living it out of spirit yet. I think many of us live this stuff out of our mind and not our spirit, and it's easy to test whether you are living out of spirit or mind. I'm gonna tell you exactly how you can tell. When a situation pops up, maybe something unexpected, is your first reaction to a situation, is it, does it come from deep within? Are your first thoughts and actions from the mind of Christ, which is the tree of life? Or are your first re, is your first reaction from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Do you make, do you make a, a decision, do you make a choice based on the inner prompting 
that inner knowing, that intuition, if you will, or do, or do you let your five physical senses feed to you data and then you make a choice based on your perceptions? That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I just went through a little thing uh, with my wife's car. It broke. She, I took it in to have the oil change. And of course, they, they find other things, you know, that they need to fix. So they gave me a list of it. And I'm looking at it and I go, I don't want to spend this money. I don't want to spend this money. Um, but there was something within me that said, no, you need to do this. Go ahead. It's all right. Do it. Now, my five physical senses said, my checkbook, <laughs> my budget, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I need, to, I need to wait. But from within, it's okay. Go ahead and do it. It's all right. You, well, you need to do this. So I followed the prompting that is within. Do you understand? Because the first, the first, I weighed, I saw the two. I could almost watch the two battling. The tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The mind of Christ and the mind, my carnal mind. My carnal mind functions from my five physical senses. So when a situation comes up, a circumstance comes up, what's your first response? Do you listen within or do you listen up here to the data that your eyes, your ears, your, your sensory perception feeds to you. That's the carnal mind. Now sandwiched in, and, and, and it tells us in Ephesians 4 about this. I want you to look, look at this with me. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This, this lays it out. Paul, Paul went through this stuff just as well as you and I do. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 says this. He said, put off the old concerning your former conduct, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Put that guy off, that form of thinking, that form of living that comes from the carnal mind, that comes from your sense perception. He said, and be renewed or to be restored in the spirit of your mind. You put on the new man, which was created to God in righteousness and true, true holiness. So in verses 22 and verse 24, we can see the contrast between, okay, don't live after this way, live after this way. And then sandwiched in between verses 22 and 24 is verse 23 that tells us how to make the transition. You renew your mind. Now it's a journey. And let me tell you something, you may fall and you may fail and you may stumble a little bit, but keep yourself focused on Jesus. And if you will, he, you will be empowered to get back up. I promise you, you'll be empowered to get back up if you fall down. So we're talking about identity. We're talking about the place that we have on this planet. And it's important how you perceive yourself and it's important how you first react to things when they arise. This takes a little training. This takes, takes some practice. It takes some times when, when you do, you live out of that mind of Christ, that tree of life. And there are other times that it just catches you by surprise or you, you just can't get over the hump and you go and do what you feel best. And oftentimes, my experience is when you do what you think is the best, it's not God's best. It might be good. There's one too many O's in there. You take one O out of good, you got God. It's either good or it's God. God's not good. God is better. He's perfect, right? So the fruit of the Spirit grows in abundance. And there's some mysteries and secrets to this fruit of the Spirit that I'm trying to weigh out. I'm studying. I'm saying, Lord, there's some things here to show me. <clears throat> when you grow fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the flesh withers up. It goes. 
And it enables you, it empowers you then to begin to see and sense yourself. Now, when we're talking about this mandate that we have, this mandate that was given to us in Genesis chapter 1, this is all playing into us. And the challenge I'm going to give you this morning is that we need to begin to exercise this. The fruit of the Spirit has some things to do with it. And like I said, I'm not fully understanding all that it does, but I'm, I'm, I'm seeing some light on this. Let me share with you the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. Because this, when we begin to live out of the fruit of the Spirit that, is, that grows in our life, as we learn to respond to our identity, we respond to the prompting within, we, we, we learn that voice and we give into it. There are things that are developed, love, joy, peace. We're going to read them here. But as they grow and flourish, then the fruit of the flesh diminishes. Well, there's a couple things here I, I, I want to point out to you. And maybe the Spirit of Truth will show you some things this morning that I need to catch on to. Galatians chapter 5, verse 18 says this. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There's no law that you're under if you're led by the Spirit. That, what that says to me is that there's no limit. There's no boundary. There's no parameter to being led by the Spirit. It can, it can, it can go any which way, up, down, right, left, but you're, you're led by it. You're not driven by it. You're, you're led. Big difference. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies. There's a long list. Envy, murder, drunkenness, revelry, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have told you in the past, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, all those things are fruit of the flesh. And, and many of them come because we make decisions that we think are good, are right, are proper, but we're not being led by the Spirit. If you're, if you're led by the Spirit, then you're not under any law. You're not under any of these things. And so he's, what he's saying to us, what we're talking about this morning is the mandate that God has given to man, beginning to realize it and function in it. And he says that those that are involved in those things do not inherit. They blind you. To kingdom reality. They blind you to kingdom truth. They blind you. They, they, they hold you back. They make you oblivious to what the kingdom is all about and fulfilling the intention that the Father has. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. There's nine of these. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now, he just told us that if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So if you're led by the Spirit, then these things develop. The love, the joy, the peace, and long-suffering. All nine of those fruits. Now, as those grow, then the, the fruits of the flesh, the drunkenness, the lasciviousness, the, the, the adultery, all those things over there, they wither up and die. They, they diminish. They diminish. Now, he, he said in, in verse 19 and 20 and 21, he said, there's no law against this fruit of the Spirit. Now, he's, ta he's talking about the kingdom in verse 21. You're not inherit the kingdom. He's not talking about going to heaven. He's not talking about a kingdom out yonder somewhere. He's talking about you don't inherit what has been placed within you. You don't, there's no advantage. You don't learn to live by it. 
But on the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law, there's no limit, there's no uh, restriction to those fruits of the Spirit. Now, I've got this rumbling around inside of me, and I don't know that I'm going to be able to express it as fully as I see it. But what I see is, if we're going to come into that kingdom mandate of Genesis chapter 1, 26, 7, and 8, and live the, the Revelation 5, 10 as kings and priests and reign on the earth, then that fruit of the Spirit is going to have to become the predominant production of life. There's no limit, there's no law, there's no restriction to it. Now what, let's go back to Genesis 1. Let me see if I can tie this point together. Humanity is responsible for all of creation. So this is what's in front of us, right? This is what's in front of us. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. I don't know how many times I've read this verse, done some teaching out of it, but I'm going to teach it with just a little bit of a, uh, a turn to it. In uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 19, it says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits. I think King James says it groans. For the revealing of the sons of God. So all of creation is eagerly waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, this is, this, this is what's in front of us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27, 28. Let him subdue, take dominion. Then he says, um, over all creation. Then he says in 8.19, Romans 8.19, that creation's looking for this. They're groaning. They're on tiptoe expectation, looking for the manifestation of the sons of God. Why are they looking for the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God? Because man is the highest order of creation. And everything has been placed in his ability to subdue it. Now, I've done a lot of teaching on the manifestation of the sons of God. There's been teaching. There's actually been a movement called the manifestation um, of the sons of God that was back in the 40s and the early 50s. There's been tremendous in interest in manifesting as a son. But there has been little attention paid to the longing of creation. And this is what I want to sit on for a few minutes. The position that we have is, as sons and daughters of God with creation, the connectedness, if you will, the connectedness that the Father has made between his highest order of creation, man, who he has given dominion and power to over all creation. We've given, given dominion over it. Now, we read often that mandate from Genesis chapter 1, 26, 7, and 8, but we haven't taken that, that mandate that has never been changed, never been rescinded, never altered. We haven't taken that and brought that into the kingdom dimension of today, right? Perhaps because we focus on some wrong things. Most of the church focuses on a rapture or second coming of Jesus. You'll not see a fullness of the kingdom. You'll not see the sons and daughters come to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ if you're focused on a rapture or the second coming. It dilutes it. It it, it puts it off on a tangent somewhere, and we don't re even consider having dominion over the planet because we're short-term here, right? That's not what the Father's focused on. We, we've been focused on some wrong things. The Father, I'll tell you what the Father's focused on right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Father's not focused on a rapture, I'll tell you that for sure. He's not focused on the second coming of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now the church still chokes on that verse. 
They haven't accepted the fact. The Father knows the end from the beginning, and this is what he's, he's determined. Every person, uh, Romans says, that God foreknew, he determined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Ephesians 1, 4, we're placing Christ before the foundation of the world. Before there was ever a problem, the Father solved it. Let's get that behind us. Let's get that behind us. Everyone that died in Adam comes alive in Christ, but each in his own order. And this is what the process we're coming through also. For some reason, you and I were on more of the, the top of that order. Our, our name started with A <laughs> in the kingdom, right? We got called first. Others have got down there at W, X, Y, and Z, and their order has not come. But he says, everyone in their order, everyone in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. We've taken that to be second coming. That's not, that's not what his coming means there. It means his unveiling. It's the word parousia. It means the personal presence. When we experience that personal presence, presence that unveiling, and, and we, we experience that at all different times, at different places, and in different ways, and in different waves. There's wave after wave. There are people coming into this grace thing that you, you think is old, old hat and you fully grasp. There's people coming into it that are asking the same questions you did 10 years ago because it's their time, it's their order. Then comes the end. All right? Everyone has worked their way through it. This process that the Father set up, have listened to the mandate. Then the end comes when he delivers the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he puts down all rule and all authority and all power. How do you think he's going to do that? How does he put down all rule and authority and power? He does it through the manifesting sons and daughters of God as they change the climate of the atmosphere of this planet that we've been entrusted with. When the, when the love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, long-suffering, when those nine fruits are growing and we're living those, we're speaking those, that fruit of the Spirit will, will grow on this planet and those works of the flesh that have caused such chaos and such havoc and that we read from um, Galatians 5, verse 19, 20, 21, you know, the, the wars, the envies, the strife, those things diminish. We begin to take our rightful position. Our, our identity now is being lived outside of us. It's, it's exploding from us. It says, verse 25, that he must reign. He is reigning today. And that ever-increasing kingdom is multiplying. He must reign till he has placed all enemies under his feet. The feet are in the body. We are the body. These things come under our feet. It comes back to what God said in the very beginning. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now, while many are still choking on that 22nd verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, this is all going to be made alive in Christ. When we begin to unpack Romans 8, 19, the manifestation of the sons of God. I love how the mirror Bible puts it. Let me tell you what the mirror Bible says. The mirror Bible says, with earnest and, and persistent expectation, creation itself eagerly waits for God's sons to disclose the nature of who they are for the purpose of continuing the creation process. That verse flat out calls us to walk in our identity as sons. In the meantime, creation is groaning 
It's calling out for us to step into that position that Adam and Eve left because of the choices they made. Adam and Eve let go of stewarding creation. Jesus regained for mankind the stewarding of creation. Everything that Adam lost. Now, was there a time that Adam took dominion and subdued? I don't know. It's not recorded in Scripture. But it's not recorded in Scripture how long he lived in the garden before they ate from the, from the decision-making self-determination tree. But whatever it is that they lost, Jesus fully redeemed it, including dominion of nature and dominion of animals. Just because they, Adam and Eve stepped away from their destiny doesn't mean that we should also. It has been fully restored. All right, Let this, let this sink in. In the, in the eighth chapter where it talks about the manifestation of the sons of God, it goes on to say this. It goes on to say this. I can tell you right now, this is going to be one you're going to have to listen to more than one time. It says in the 23rd verse, And not only they, but ourselves, we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves. We groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the full, complete, absolute adoption, which will be the redemption of our bodies. Mankind also grows. You know what the word grown right there means? It means to express an inner desire, an inner longing. We're, we, we, are, we are longing inside. We have this intense desire to step into that, that God-ordained position that we have. Now, our bodies are going to be the last to catch up with it. Our bodies will take some time to catch up with who we are. We'll, we'll get the revelation within first, but our bodies will catch up at some point. That's why it says, 1 Corinthians 15, 28, that we read, that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. He calls it the redemption of the body over here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. Take you back. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And let them subdue it. That word subdues the Hebrew word kabash. It means bring into subjection, to make subservient, to rule, to have dominion, to dominate. But it's not the kind of, of domination and, 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 and control that is in the world system. We're in the world, we're not of it. We're, our, 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 our dominion, our domination is of another, of another uh, ilk, another stripe. In, in, in the kingdom, it's not an enslaving, but domination is an empowering of creation to reach its full potential in its rightful place as well. So what you and I have been given a mandate to do is to bring all creation into, the, into what its God-given purpose is as well as us. Creation is waiting. That waiting has a frequency to it. Groaning is calling out for help. Earth, earth groans until the suns begin to take their position. And I, I'll, I'll say, say something to you here and this may you may not like this but we're going to have to to belly up to the bar so to speak and we're going to have to realize something that god said and i marked this with my little ribbon here so i could get to it quick here's what psalm says psalm 115 verse 16 the heavens even the heavens are the lord's but the earth but the earth he has given handed over to the sons of men when we don't follow our Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 mandate, listen to me very carefully. Heavens, 
belong to God, the earth he's given to the sons of man. When we don't follow our Genesis 1.28 mandate in accordance with the way that God has delegated and designated, it throws nature into stress. It throws, it, it throws nature into anxiety and fear. And what I think the result of nature being out of kilter are all the things we see going on, the hurricanes, the earthquakes, the famines, civil unrest, people's unhappiness, suicide rates up, drug overdose. All those things are the frustration and the anxiety of creation. And that's why they're crying out. They're crying out for something. And what they're looking for is the manifestation of the sons and the daughters. It's like this. It's like if I, here's what's happened. God has given to the earth to man. We're in the lead on this. The ball's in our court. It's not God's fault. There should be no hungry people, no poor people. There's enough on the planet for everybody. It's been the greed. It's been man not following his, his dominion mandate that has created the stress and the problems that we face. And, and creation is crying out and saying, sons of God, take your position. It's like this. If I build a 5,000 square foot house, equipped it with everything, the finest of everything, furniture, utensils, dishes, swimming pool, everything you'd ever need. Stocked it full of food that as soon as you took a can of soup off, another can appeared. Everything you'd ever need. And I handed that house, I gave you the keys. So there you go, you got the keys, you can live in that house. But you never did anything to maintain it. You never cut the grass, never repaired a leak, never, never did anything. Eventually, that house would collapse. It would take some time, but the house would collapse. That's what's going on with our earth right now. What's going on, God has given us a mandate. We have not maintained it. We have not maintained, and I'm not talking about tree hugging. I'm not, I'm not talking about global warming. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about the place that God has given us to keep this planet in a divine working order. Right? It's, it, that has created a frequency, a negative frequency that draws us into a plan of frustration. I know I'm teaching some things you've probably never heard, but we have a great opportunity. We, guys, we are further down the road than any other generation that I think the world has ever seen. We're further down the road. We have, it's, it's been the time of the Father to reveal mysteries. We have seen things, we've experienced things, and we have an opportunity to make a monumental shift in the kingdom and it will have repercussions in creation. If we accept the mission, I, I believe it opens the door to this next level of grasping our identity and seeing more. We wonder why there's so many natural disasters, civil unrest, chaos in nations. It's the groaning of creation that inner desire that is calling out. It's calling out from a negative force because that's, that's what we have planted. That's what we have ingrained. That is the culture that we have put upon the planet. He's calling the sons of God to open themselves to what sonship and what kingdom living is all about. Let me show you the pattern, son. Jesus came to show us a couple of things. He came to show us the Father, eliminate all of the misconceptions from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, about this judicial, schizophrenic God. He also came to show us how sons and daughters of God, as they manifest, should live, 
taking into account the Genesis chapter 1, 26, 7, and 8, the mandate. He exercised the mandate. He showed us the mandate. He, he demonstrated the dominion. For, for example, in Matthew chapter 8, very beginning of the book, very beginning of his ministry, in Matthew chapter 8, let me just read verses 23 to 27. It says, when Jesus went into the boat, the disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. The only storms you're going to have victory over are the ones you sleep through. And his disciples came to him and said, wake up, Lord, we're perishing. He said, why are you so fearful, oh, you of little faith? Then he arose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what, man, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? That is a man. Jesus did that as a man walking in the fullness that God had given to him. He demonstrated for the disciples exactly how this ought to be lived out, how this ought to look. They remember over, over in Luke chapter 5, verses 4, 5, and 6, the fishermen had been out fishing all night, didn't catch anything. Jesus show, says, show up, shows up, says, put your boats out, cast your nets over, and they drew in more fish than they could haul to the boat. That's a man. That's a man that is exercising kingdom dominion. That's a man that's walking in. We won't need evangelism programs. We won't need tracks when we start to accept our place. Now, I, I, I know this has not been taught. We haven't heard much about this. But at first, there's got to be people that first be, begin to say within themselves, and this is what I'm trying to get you to do at the digital cathedral. There has to be a people that at least say, I see it and it's possible. I see God's plan and it's possible. Right? I'm the first one to tell you, this is uncharted territory. We're, we're moving into some things. We talked about manifestation of sons of God. We've talked about identity. We're talking about taking charge of the planet which is what God told us we need to do. It's a dimension of sonship that very few people have even considered. We look at the stories and we're just like the disciple. What kind of guy is this? How did he do it? Quantum physics is giving us some insight today on some of these mysteries. The father, seeing the end from the beginning, declared how this cosmos would shake out at the end of the day, how it all look. And now we're in the process. We are the people that are in the process. Even with all the twists, the turns, the ups and downs, the things that, that man has done that has caused difficulty, when God designed it, he took all that, in, he fed that into the computer, right? He fed it into the computer. The great awakening that's taking place on our planet, as good as it is, and man, I love it. As good as it is, the, the grace, I mean, I feel like I got born again again when I got that. Unconditional love, when I knew the fatherhood of God, that that's, he nurtured me like a good father. I didn't have to fear him. You talk about identity and mercy, that it, and that's all good stuff. Let me tell you something. That's just the opening act. That's just the opening act. The best is yet to come. It's still in front of us. The next step is for manifesting sons and daughters to see creation beginning to respond to who we've always been. It's the way the Father designed it. They've done their part. They're, they're finished. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. I'm just going to read two, two or three verses real quick. They're done. They've, their part's over. He's handed us 
He's handed us the keys to the house that he built, fully stocked, equipped. We haven't maintained it, so it's in shambles. But we're going to send... We're going to send the renovation crew over and we're going to start to remodel what has been out of, out of kilter. Verse 12, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. That is objectively done. He sat down, finished, over. From that time waiting till his enemies be made his footstool. That's the subjective working out that we are now empowered to do with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So with that one offering, he perfected everybody objectively and subjectively as we're coming through the process. That's exactly what he's saying. Now here's, here's, here's the revelation. Creation will respond as we answer the call. The frequency from the sons of God that develop the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, long-suffering, meekness, mercy, all those things, all those nine fruits, when we, that will resonate with creation. As it resonates with creation, they begin to shift, and instead of modeling the hate, the competitiveness, the vileness that we have allowed to come in, that we have allowed, God didn't set it, God didn't start it, we allowed it, but as we start to model this fruit of the Spirit, and this is where the mystery for me right now is in the fruit, I'm seeing that if the sons of God start manifesting the fruit, it is kryptonite to those works of the flesh. Creation responds to what we say. Creation responds to how we act. Creation responds to how we treat other people. Creation responds to that voice that we respond to of the Spirit that is within. How much truth is this generation willing to open themselves to and to begin to demonstrate? And I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, as we mature these things, our, our influence begins to expand. So what I'm doing this morning is I'm putting out a call that we awaken to the role that has been assigned us, the mandate that we take authority over all of Father's creation on the planet, you say, I, how do you do that? I can't tell you the practicals of it. But I can tell you this. It starts with the thought from the mind of Christ in the creative process to create this planet the way that the Father designed it and intended it to be. And as our imagination begins to paint that picture and we start growing the fruit of the Spirit, nothing can defeat love. Love never fails. As we start expressing the love, and I've talked to you about love for four or five weeks, the gospel without doctrines. Two things, Jesus is Lord, and love one another as I've loved you. That grows the joy, the peace, the long-suffering. See, the last 2,000 years, creation has responded to our neglect. We've neglected the planet, let's face it. And again, not tree-hugging, I'm not talking about global war, I'm not talking that, that trash. Excuse me. I'm talking about demonstrating the life of Christ, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering. But we can look and correct this path. We can change this. We can, we can correct our mistakes and begin a kingdom pattern that will intensify and will strengthen. As we personally awaken, as we get the revelation of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 7, and 8, and see that is the Father's plan, the process is working. We see Revelation 5, 10, the completion of it. 
See, it's, that's in God's time. This is it, all in God's timetable. One thought and I'm done. I'm not, I could go on for a long time about this. One, one thought, my time is up. Here's the thought. Our world is not happening to us. Our world is responding to us. Again, our world is not happening to us. You're not a victim of stuff. You're not a victim of circumstance. Our world is responding to us collectively. And I said I wasn't going to preach it, but collectively as we demonstrate and grow the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, what, verse 22, 23, then all that junk in 19 to 21 is going to wither up and die. We can change the course of the planet. God's ordained it. Amen? All right, that's enough for today. You might want to go back and listen to this again. I'll, I'll, I'll keep unwinding all these things. We're so many things going on. So much is happening. Uh, it's all good. So we'll see you Wednesday night at the Secret Place back next Sunday morning, and we'll continue to add another brick on the wall as we continue to come to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ in this life. Amen. God bless.